welcome to the Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Hey, my name is Jeff. I'm a fully conceited sexaholic. I live in Denver. My sobriety date is May 8th, 2016. My definition of sobriety is do not ask my wife for sex, no masturbation, no pornography. I'm happy to share my story with you. I'm 40 years old, and I believe that I'm a sexaholic in training since I was about eight. Even at that age, I had a feeling I could look at girls differently than those around me. I lived in fantasy, escaping in my mind from the world that was full of fear. I would look at Sears catalogs, focusing on raw and panties. One more pose, one more pair, never enough. My friends would try to pull me away from the images when they had seen enough, but it was never enough for me. Those images gave me a warm feeling all over. My heart rate soared. All the feelings of being rejected and abandoned disappeared. But those feelings would quickly be followed by shame. A little voice inside saying, you really shouldn't be doing this. By 10, I was looking up girl skirts and down blouses, finding the right vantage point to get back, to get a peek. By 12, I had sex for the first time. Then I found masturbation for, shortly after. Doing it all made the unwanted feelings and emotions disappear. But at once, as soon as the act was over, darkness, blackness, great shame. At 14, my second girlfriend didn't give enough sex. Making out and petting weren't enough. By late high school, I was brushing up against girls to cop a feel. Success would fuel my fantasies for days. I was abusing alcohol, eventually joined AA. After one slip, got sober from alcohol. I haven't had a drink since January 25th, 1999. At 22, witnessed others having sex at a party for the first time. It was a new high. I called the girl I was with to come watch. Wanted her to be a voyeur with me. 24. Had a serious relationship with the girl I met, now called Anonymous. We broke up and got back together many times. She could not satisfy my sexual appetite. No room for God in this relationship. Objectified her, masturbated to images in my mind. I remember it was a very painful period in my life. 26. I didn't think porn was a problem for me, but I could recall images and masturbate to them. I just remember telling myself I liked all the girls, big ones, little ones, skinny ones, heavier ones, searching for the perfect sex experience for a glimpse of a lifetime. 28, I met my future wife, but my AA girlfriend had gotten pregnant, said it was my child. That didn't stop me from getting into a relationship with my future wife. Didn't think she was attainable, so I masturbated to the fantasy of being with 
my wife to be. Actually, disclosed all this to my wife, and she didn't reject me. Had a DNA test and found out the child was not mine. Wife and I finally had sex before marriage. We had wanted to wait until we were married, but one thing led to another another huge mistake. She became a sex object, body parts. That's it. And I obsessed about all of them. I had dreamed about a real relationship, getting to know her, innermost thoughts and dreams. But once we had sex, that was all. My focus was is sex. The emotional and mental part of our relationship was gone. Objectifying her took me out of reality, daydreaming about past acts relieved the pain of the present. Marriage didn't solve my problems. Having children with long periods of no sex followed following the birth, seeing a marriage counselor. Call my Patrick. He just called me and asked me Um, having such different needs for sex, my wife and I were challenged. I was over sex. She was not willing to meet in the middle. I, I, I just remember feeling that it was always her choice. I got increasingly more restless, irritable, discontent. I objectify my wife all the time, checking out body parts, watching her in the shower, etc. Anger around her PMS cycle. I was so drunk I couldn't focus on anything. Couldn't even hear what people were saying. Crossed the new boundary, masturbating with used panties in my mouth. I was beaten. Hopeless, helpless, and suffering in a way that I'd never been before. The fear of doing self-harm harming my wife became very real. Having gone off alcohol through the 12 spiritual steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, I knew there was a 12-step program for sex addiction. I must have called six numbers, finally left five messages. Finally, a living, breathing person was on the other end. Every day for six months of sobriety, I think. Uh, I called this man. I just I stayed in contact with them. I think each one here is a miracle at this meeting to go through this much um, effort to to talk to somebody about sex addiction was pure miracle. After each voicemail, my addict kept saying, "There you go, Jeff. You tried to get help. There's no help for you. Just give up." Over and over. It's always sunny, and it's always sunny here in Colorado first contact with another sexaholic the weather was cold cloudy very unpleasant this was the way every fiber in my body felt my soul had gotten very dark and black my wife knew i had been talking to sexaholics and i was looking for a meeting so my wife was a part of this at my first meeting of SA, i saw a big book of aa on the table i just remember feeling i was home at this point it had been 10 years since I attended a 12-step meeting. These guys were really sick, very sick. I thought, where's the girls? Seeing those around me struggle with deep, dark obsessions. No, not me. I was the normal one. I was much healthier than these sickos. Having sex with animals and exposing themselves in public never crossed my mind. There was only five of us there, five minutes left for sharing. I had to say something very painful to share my addict. 
don't share this will kill you. I just, I remember that going through my head. And so I don't really remember what I said, but this is kind of the gist. I, I tried, I'm tired of hurting the people I love. I'm stone cold sober where drugs and alcohol is concerned. And Now, the real problem is I can't stand reality. I can't stand the way I feel when I'm not all jacked up on lust. I'm not comfortable living in my own skin. I need help. I was crying uncontrollably. Not sure what else I said. said to myself, maybe I'll just... Maybe I'm just as sick as everyone here. Received four much-needed hugs that day. Wept for 20 minutes driving home from that meeting. The first guy to meet me for coffee ended up being my sponsor. Everyone seems to be so busy in this program, no time for working with others. Step work with him seemed to be a writing exercise from college courses. Called him every day, countless two-minute voicemails left. I didn't talk to him directly, leaving lengthy voicemails help with this. Not much talk about praying and meditating. Five months of working with him, he acted out. He could not do for himself what he had done for me over and over. My wife and I found out our seven-year-old son has the most common, most curable form of childhood leukemia. This was around month four. Devastating. A person just can't prepare for the child getting a disease like this. My wife shared with me a drawing of hers. It was an iceberg on the top. small piece of the ice above the water had our son's name on it. The lower, much larger, daunting piece of ice was labeled just sex addiction. You see, everyone knew our son's awful cancer on the surface and felt sorry for our whole family. Now, the sex addiction, no one hears about it. My wife's quiet. She didn't have somebody to go to. I didn't say a word because the focus needs to be on our son, right? At this point, God had already removed the insidious, homicidal, suicidal feeling of I've got to act out no matter what. If God had not done this for me, I would not be here today. The first 90 days of sobriety, I went to three meetings a day, mostly phone meetings, including one face-to-face per week. Now I do one meeting per week, sometimes, excuse me, now I do one meeting per day, sometimes two meetings. I call at least three people an essay per day, Sexholics Anonymous and Alcoholics Anonymous recorded speaker meetings two times a day. Made a three-step file with my first sponsor, asked him to work with, excuse me, asked to work with the second sponsor, my second sponsor, the very day I lost my first sponsor. Reviewed first five steps with my new sponsor. He checked with this sponsor and agreed we could continue with six and seven. Basically, my second sponsor and I have talked every day since we met, 623-16. He knew exactly how crazy I was. I couldn't get through the work fast enough. I remember saying over and over, can we move forward? Can we meet for an hour? My first sponsor would say, don't rush this thing. Take your time. You're exactly where you need to be. No, I'm not. I'm freaking out. Too much pain, too much heartache, too much crying. If I don't move forward, I'm going to die. You will not believe me unless you try it. The only thing different between 18 years of sobriety, drugs and alcohol, and the last 10 months in Sexholics Anonymous is reading a daily devotion, praying, meditating, 
started reading, praying, meditating every morning and night on August 20th, 2016. This is settled. It's a done deal. This has created a certain kind of calm, quiet stillness in my life that is equal to or greater than the awful feeling I have to act out no matter what. Is it easy? No. Funny thing is, is often I look forward to reading, praying, and meditating later. Seems like the first eight months of SA meetings were the source of my sobriety. Just stay sober till the next meeting. Ran through my head over and over. The only sanity I felt was during the meeting. Really did not focus on recovery in the meetings. I have a pen and paper I keep folded up. I take it with me everywhere. Special phrases I write down. Something doesn't quite make sense. I write it down and talk it over with my sponsor. Staying sober is no longer the sole purpose of going to meetings. Connecting with the newcomers is why I love meetings today. How can I share hope with the hopeless? Regarding ourselves as intelligent agents, spearheads of God's ever-advancing creation. That's out of the big book, page 49. Today I'm focused on maintaining my steps by doing 10, 11, and 12 every day. I just, I'll take a few minutes to go back. When I hit bottom on May 7th, I didn't know what to do or where to go. And I just, I cried out to God and I said, please help me. I'm suffering in a way I can't deal with. I'm in pain in a way I can't wake up from this nightmare. And when I hit bottom, see, hitting bottom is a process that brings you back to the power you've been in to ask for help. And he came in and he helped me. And it was a pure miracle. And as time went on, I shared stories with others and others shared stories with me. And that spiritual awakening just grew. And the spiritual side of this program was so foreign to me. You know, I kept saying, how come I don't get this spiritual thing in the program? Well, there's no part of the program that's spiritual. The whole whole program is based on a spiritual life. Around age eight, I fell asleep spiritually. Around page, uh, age 15, I died spiritually. My life was very black. It was very dark. Until I hit bottom and asked for help, I was living in a darkness, a blackness that it just consumed my day. And the only way I could deal with it was to be lustful. And came to the point in my sobriety where I said, God, I'm powerless over lust. Again, just talking to others, the spiritual experiences just kept flooding in. If I make myself available to this program and my higher power, it just, the sky's the limit. And I'm, I don't do this perfectly. That's why I, I really try to get to a meeting every day, call my sponsor every day. And, uh, Get through the work. The 12 spiritual steps of Sexaholics Anonymous have saved my life. And, you know, it's we look at our higher power as this condemning and this, this being that's just going to crush us. How are we supposed to go to that power that's just so intimidating? You can't. It has to be totally rebuilt. My understanding of my higher power is still going on today. My higher power is loving unconditionally, just no matter what I think, say, or do. If I can turn from ill thoughts, ill words, ill actions, and go to him, he's available. He's like, 
Jeff, you silly bastard. I, I've been waiting for you. Thank you for coming to me. And um, That's who my higher power is today. He's just reckless, trying to get to me no matter what. Open arms. And when I turn to him, I can feel his arm around me. And I hear him say, Jeff, we're going to go this we're going to go through this together. I'm not above you. I'm not ahead of you. I'm not greater than you. Let's do this together. And it's so refreshing to just turn from my will, look look at my higher power and just say, here I am. And through the blood, sweat, and tears, he sees who I am, and he embraces me. So today I need to practice patience, love, tolerance on others. You know, that my higher power is first, and then my wife and my kids, and then my job, and then Sexolics Anonymous is in the fourth place. So I've got to, I've got to keep that order. I can't. My wife's famous line was, love me, don't lust me. Years ago, she said that, love me, don't lust me. And I just didn't get it. You know, I thought, Squeezing her inappropriately was love. I thought, you know, peeking at her when she's needing privacy, that's love. It's not. Today, if I have a spiritual connection with my wife and nothing more, I think my life will be a success. First spiritual, emotional, mental, last but not least, a physical relationship with my wife. So, again, God my wife and kids, my job, Psychologics Anonymous. It has to be in that order. Being a sexaholic is not an inconvenience. It's life-threatening. I'll pass with that. Thank you. Wow. Okay. In participation. Harvey, the record. Oh, sorry, record button. Sorry, yeah, let me just... I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening, and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.